Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Amen. So this morning I want to talk on something that's very, very precious to my heart and the title of it is Building God a House. And um, I want to build God a house. I want to build God a generational house. I want to build a generational house in our own, in our own family where our children's children's children preach the gospel and save the, uh, and to win the lost and see disciples come to Jesus. And that's what we want to. We know, and I'm very much aware that I'm part of a generation of people. One of my grandmothers, when they came out from Ireland on uh, the Genghis Khan ship, uh, she went and did a 21-day fast and prayed for 21 days and, and prayed for pretty well the whole voyage out. And I know today that because she built a house for God, I'm part of that legacy. And that's what we want to build in this place. We, we, we're thinking generationally. We're thinking for, for elderly people to be involved, younger people, grandchildren to be involved, great-grandchildren uh, to be involved. And, and when we see Talia up here this morning ministering, just blesses my heart. Where is Talia? Um, I, I know your granddad, you know, John, and uh, you know, he's with the Lord now, but the passion that he had to build a house of God. And uh, today, that legacy flows on, and I have no doubt that it's going to continue, Janet. Isn't that true? And, and that's what we want to build. We want to build a house of God. We want to build a place in this city, in this generation as well, but we want to build the house of God. So that the house of God is with miracles in it. The house of God has transformation in it. The house of God has people who come to meet with God. And when a person meets with God, it's a very special thing. And just before we hopped up, I, you know, just in the Holy Ghost, I was thinking of the demoniac. And, and it's in the Gospels where Jesus was going past the cemetery. And, and here's this man, and he was obviously possessed. And, and, and in his heart, there was a lot going on in his heart to be healed, to be able to have control over his emotions to be able to live a fruitful life, to be able to be a part of community, to be able to be a part of society, to be able to be a, a, a provider in the city that he lived, to be able to live a life that you and I live. And, but he struggled, he was possessed, and he had this struggle going on. But, you know, the scriptures say that he, he met with Jesus one day in his, in his hell. And Jesus meets, meets most of us when we're in our hell. You know, there's a hell worse than death. It's a hell that you've got to face day after day after day. And you think that death's a way of, of getting out of the hell. And this man met with God and he met with Jesus and, and Jesus, he set him free. He set this man free, like you and I, when God comes into our world in his, in his love and his miraculous and his, and his power and he, and he meets you in your hell. Yeah. He meets you in your cemetery. He meets you in a place where there's no life. It was a cemetery, there's no life. 
And he met him in that place where there's no life, there's no spiritual life, there's, there's nothing but decay, there's nothing but wretchedness, there's nothing but rejection, there's nothing but fear, that hell that maybe has brushed against your life once or twice in your lifetime. And he met with this guy in the middle of this death, in the middle of this hell, in the middle of this cemetery, and set the man free. And the Bible says that he went and... and and he, he, he started, to, he changed. There was a, a change over this man. I asked myself when I was thinking about this message, I wonder how many times he went back to that place of change. And he went back and he might have, he might have you know, got married. He, he may have, or may have went back to his marriage and, and started to hold that marriage down and get his relationship back with his kids and go back and get a job, and now he's making a living. Now he can see some, a light at the end of the tunnel. Now he can see, I can do something with my life. Now I've got purpose. But I wonder how many times he must have gone back to that geographical location in that cemetery and says, you know what, Shay? I was set free here. To go back to that, maybe it was a burial plot, and just go back and to that spot. I said, that spot would have meant a lot to that man. Who would agree with me? Who can remember the spot you were at when you met with God? I can remember the, the spot where I met, where Jesus met with me. When I, and I was in my hell, in my cemetery, in, in my location of death all around me. And you raise your hand and say, God, you've got to do something with the soul. And God supernaturally does something within you. And a life starts to change. There's something about the geographics. It says in 2 Samuel 7, 1, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Here he is in his house. He's in a spot. And, he, and, and, and he's... And, and, and the enemies are subdued that are around him, and now rest comes to his life. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, see now, see now where you are today. You, you, hopefully you're in the best place you've ever been in your life. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's in your growing Maybe it's a desert spot, but, but see now. See now where I'm at. I'm going good, thank you very much. There's rest in my soul. There's rest around me. I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. You ever stopped and thought about that, where God has brought you to now and how blessed you are? You're a blessed people. You may not think so, but you're a blessed person. You think life's tough, it can get tough. Can't it? And some of us today may be in that spot. Mm. Maybe today you feel like you're sitting in your cemetery. We're going to give you an opportunity later to come to Jesus and enable him to set you free. Lugging around the path, the past dragging around. Who's ever been there? Put all your burdens in the old kit bag and smile and smile. But they're still there. You're still dragging them around. But Jesus set him free. And David wanted to do something better for the house of God than he had done for himself. I have no right to dwell in a house of cedar, he said, while the ark of God lives are in curtains. 
And God's heart was so touched with this attitude that he promised to build David a house. So, so, blessed, with the, so blessed with this desire, God, I want something better for you. Yeah. You know, God doesn't mind us. Well, actually, God gets a lot of fun out of seeing us blessed. He gets a lot of fun out of seeing you going up and maybe buying a new car. He gets a lot of fun out of seeing you have a nice home to live in. He, 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 he gets a lot of fun out of seeing you get your degree and your education. He gets a lot of fun out of seeing us blessed with happy marriages. He, he, he gets a lot of blood. Uh, he, he enjoys seeing us prosper, doesn't he? Is that right? He, he enjoy, he's got nothing against you driving whatever car you want to drive. He wants you to be blessed. But what touches God is at the end of the day, you know, when, when a whole lot of them was the lepers, 10 lepers were, were healed, only one came back. Yeah. Only one came back and one came back and thanked him. And so now that we've been set free, maybe today you're going to be set free. Maybe today's your opportunity when you will be set free and time will tell just how blessed you are then. But now that we're set free, what are we going to do with our freedom? What are we going to do with the blessing? You know, Jacob, I've been thinking about which scripture I'm going to work off here this morning, but you see a young man, his name was Jacob. He was one of a twin. His brother's name was Esau. And Jacob was born after Esau and probably only by factors of a minute or so. That's all. But that factor of a minute or so determined that Esau was going to get the family inheritance. How would you be? Mate, don't worry about the silver medal. <laughs> when you get the silver medal, it just means you didn't win. If you got the bronze, well, that's a good encouragement. But, you know, silver medal means you just didn't win. And poor old Jacob, he, he got the silver medal. And, and the worst part about it, he got a name over him that said, you are a supplanter. I mean, was one thing worse than not getting the family inheritance? The second thing is getting a name like, you're a supplanter now. And from the time he was born, that was all that was confessed over him. You are a supplanter, you are a cheat, you are a robber. You know, and every time they called him for dinner, they said, tell the robber to come and have lunch, you know. It's not a very nice thing to be confessing over your kids. And here he is, he, he hungered for this birthright and he couldn't get it. So he deceived his father and he deceived his brother and, and he got this birthright. But in him, in him all along was the residue of years of wrong confession. In him was this residue that you are still a supplanter. You know, there's nothing worse than getting the blessings of God and inside you is something that still speaks to you that you're a loser. There's nothing worse than going up and getting the degree, but inside you there's still something saying you're still second rate. There's nothing worse than getting the blessings of God all around you and thinking somehow that you still haven't made it. There's nothing worse than that. It's when your heart is speaking things to you that is not true. And I know there's people here that believe that. I know. I'm... I know there's people here and you're walking in the blessing of God, but still inside you, there's still this voice that says that you're a loser. Big L on your forehead. Is that, yeah, big L. I didn't know if I had back the front. <laughs> but who, who knows that struggle? 
Oh yeah, Dan, but you got a past. Remember, remember. Who's heard that word? Remember. Yeah. <laughs> remember. No, I saw you. You can't just rub it out like that because you had a had a Jesus moment. And Jacob was like that. And the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 32, it says that he went to a place and he sent his. I don't know how he picked the place, but he picked this place. And he sent, he sent his family ahead of him. He said, I've got to meet with God. I've got the birthright. I've got the birthright. There's something not right in here. And the scripture said that he wrestled with God. He wrestled and wrestled with God over this thing. And there's, <coughs> I've wrestled with God over this. It's hard when you wrestle with God, isn't it? Isn't it? It's hard when you wrestle with God over this whole issue of, of identity and dealing with the past and dealing with what's been said over you and dealing what you're saying over yourself and Jacob had this battle and he battled and he battled and he battled and he battled with this whole supplant a bit you thieved your brothers I know I thieved it <laughs> but he didn't want it <laughs> and I did want it I valued it more than what he did and I, yeah I did I did but God you gotta God you gotta give me a break here and he wrestled and, and the scripture said that he wrestled and he wrestled and wrestled like with God like many of us do today and but that night he wouldn't let God say and he said I will not let you go unless you bless me you got to bless me, God. you got to bless me. I've got the birthright legally, but I need the spiritual blessing to work it. Wow. And he struggled and struggled, and God said, you let me go, man. you got to let me go because the dawn's coming. And he said, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the scripture said he touched the hollow of his hip. And Jacob arose... And God said, your name's no longer Jacob, but you're going to be known as Israel, which means prevailing with God. He prevailed with God. And his life was turned around that much that he called that place Peniel, which means the face of God. And there's something, there's something about the place of God. And that's what the house of God is. When we think of this building here, we can think of it as a building. We can think of it as, as bricks and mortar. But there's something very significant about this place, this, this building. No different to Mount Sinai, no different to a whole lot of other places in Scripture. The Wailing Wall, you can go to the Wailing Wall and, and there's something about that place that if you can walk into that Wailing Wall in Israel, in Jerusalem and walk out without, without the spirit of prayer touching your life, I'm telling you what. If you can walk in, walk out and not be changed, you're like a lump of brick. There's something about the place. We can go in Jerusalem, you can go into the Holocaust Museum and and especially the children's one, and there's just such a presence in that place. 
I remember going into the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C., and I was, I was in tears when I walked out. It just moved my heart. We can go to Anzac Cove over there in the Dardanelles, and if you can go to that place, that geographical spot, and not sense a presence there that moves your heart. There's something about, about the war museum. There's something about mum and dad's bedroom that's a sacred place, a husband and wife's bedroom. It's sacred, it's sacred, it's, it's sacred. There's something of God in there. I remember when our little ones, well, they're not little ones now, but, but when they were little, they'd get sick. They'd go and hop up mum and dad's bed and hug dad's pillow and there's something about it that would touch them. We've got to understand these things, ladies and gentlemen. There's something, there's something about the house of God. When we think about this place here, this is a pineal to many people. This is a pineal to many of us. This, this place here is a Mount Moriah to many of us where Abraham took his son Isaac and was prepared to sacrifice him before God to show he believed that God was going to help him. And, and some of us, we've, we've sacrificed in this room. We've come into this room and we've made life life-determining decisions here, life-changing decisions. We've come along battling in our heart. God wants me to do this, but I, I want to do that. And we've come here and in worship, we've, we've, we've come to this altar here, so to speak, and, and, and we've laid, laid, laid the thing down on the sacrifice of the altar and said, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. How many healings? How many people have been saved in this building over the years? Just how many people have come in those doors feeling a wretch, feeling washed out, feeling rejected, feeling unloved, and, and something has happened, something miraculous has happened as I've stood on this, this, this spot. Yeah. It's undeniable, isn't it? It's undeniable. And I know it can happen in the street. For me, it was in the back, backyard in a cane paddock where I got born again. But I'll tell you what, I remember the swimming pool where I got water baptized. And I wonder how many dead bodies at the bottom of that swimming pool. Because it transformed my life. I remember the spot. And there's something about this place that's holy ground. There's something about this building of the souls that have been saved, the babies that have been dedicated in this room. See, this place is more than bricks and mortars, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a whole lot more. How many people, how many prophetic words have been spoken in this place? Come on, there's been hundreds. This, this, is, this is a pineal. This is, this is a place of God. This is a Mount Moriah. This is a Calvary, this place where people have come and sacrificed. This is the tomb where, where dead people come to be raised from the dead. I'm talking spiritually. How many lives, life-changing decisions have been made in this place? But this place truly is a, a place of God. Yeah. I couldn't help this morning standing there, man alive, 
presence of God. I, how am I going to preach? I'm drunk in the Holy Ghost here. You've been drunk physically? Try that in the Holy Ghost. God, do we treasure this enough? Build God a house. Build God. This is a place of homage. It's a place of spiritual renewal and transformation. How many breakthroughs have happened here? Where a husband and wife have been battling in their marriage and, and things aren't working and they come to church and, and come on, honey, take my hand. Come on, take my hand. We've we got to go and sort this thing out before God. I know you got your way and I got my way, but how about we bring God in the middle of it and stood here and, 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 and someone comes along and lay hands and, 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 and somehow God comes in the middle of this husband and wife and now he, he comes answerable to God, she comes answerable to God and something supernatural and miraculous happens in their life. Come on, let's tell the truth. How many... See, there's something about this place. Let's build God a house. Let's build God. See, this place is a statement of our faith, about what we really believe in. It's about what we really... We, this is our presentation to the world. When people walk in here from the world, that they're going to look at... And say, what they look at is... This place reflects who we are. It's the same as your home. Your home reflects who you are. Ann and I have been in the back parts of the Solomons for many years, many years ago, and, 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 and people living little grass huts with dirt floor, I'm telling you what, some of those houses had more in them than the, some of the million-dollar homes I've seen in Australia. The presence, the beauty, the love. There's something about it, ladies and gentlemen, but we've got to understand, you know, in this time of faith, love, hope, we're asking for pledges. We're asking for finances. We're not bashing you over the ear for it. That's between you and God. But we've got to reflect something in this place that reflects the blessing that God has placed over our lives. Yeah. He has blessed me. Yeah. He has blessed me. He has blessed me. He's given me the privilege to know him. He's given me the privilege to know going to my grave where I'm going to go. I know that. What a marvelous thing that is, is to have your hope of salvation. Not to battle with it. Not, not to wonder, how am I going to be judged? How am I going to go? No, this is what's happened in this place. It's a, see, this place is a place of unburdening. We, we come in weighed down by the pressures of the world, the pressures of the job. And I know, I know today in, in the workplace there's a lot of pressure there. There's a pressure to work extra hours. There's a pressure today to, you know, the families today are battling like they've never battled in, in regards to how, how do we live and our incomes in, in comparison to what it's costing us to live. The cost of living is rising. Isn't that right? But there's something when you know, there's something when you know you can come to a place and you can lay those burdens down, have somebody pray for you, and you get that sense that, you know what, 
It's tough, but God's with me. It's tough. It's tough, but God's with me. We build God a house. It's a place to unburden. It's a place to refresh and to refuel. When I was a kid, I'm going to finish on this. When I was a kid, I was sent to boarding school for a number of years. And and I was sent there because I was so dysfunctional and whatever. But I remember the years at boarding school, I was so lonely, so depressed. And I battled depression every day I was there. But I remember I used to go and we used to have a chapel. And I'd go and sit in the chapel and just sit there. And just sit there, hurting, rejected, angry. But it was a place where I could find peace. It was a place I could unburden. It was a place where I could always find love. It's a place where I could always find acceptance. It's a place I can always find forgiveness. And you know what? That's what this place is. It's a place where you can come and just sit. Because the presence of God doesn't go just because we go on Sunday night and the rest of the week. You know, during the week, His presence is here. And it's a place you can go and find solitude. It's a place you can go and just say, God, I just need to spend a half an hour with you. There's something about the house of God.